glad to have you here, and that is the final week of our series, Birds Do It, Bees Do It. And, uh, you know, way back in the day, um, I used to dress like this, plus the suit coat I'm going to put on in a few minutes, every weekend. In fact, every weekday, it was, uh, it was coat and tie time. And uh, I realized it's been a long time since I have worn a suit on a weekend, uh, especially because a bunch of you have commented on it when you came in today. So <laughs> I did have a, a friend who uh, used to say, they're from a pretty conservative background, and they said, well, I just think pastors preach better with a tie on. So get ready, all right? <laughs> we are amping it up for today. So <clears throat> uh, we have the stage set. Uh, about 100 of you came out last week. Thank you and helped decorate the church. You'll be finishing up this week. It's going to look awesome. And the stage is perfect for a wedding uh, today. We're marrying four couples this weekend, uh, two last night and two today. And... <clears throat> As we've been preaching the series, we identified that sex is meant by God to be a life-uniting act with a life-uniting intent in a life-uniting relationship for life. And so we gave couples an invitation. If you've gotten your order backwards, uh, maybe already living together or what, and want to honor God and make it right and get married, that we would do that this weekend. And so four couples took us up on that, and one couple will be getting married uh, today at the end of the service. And so it's part of the service, so don't leave early. Uh, you will enjoy it. And uh, you'll notice next week we'll add some Christmas to this and get all ready for our Christmas weekend. Stop by, grab a pie on your way out for Pie It Forward. It's a great invite to invite somebody. Hey, this is from our church. Happy Thanksgiving and join us for our Christmas celebration this second week of December. So with that said, let's jump into the final week of Birds Do It, Bees Do It. If you have the CLC app, you can follow along on the points that I'm going to share. The first one is that John 10.10 includes your sexuality and your marital status. We quote this verse often. Jesus said it in uh, John 10. And he said, The thief comes, that's Satan, only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Christ wants you to have an abundant life in the maleness or femaleness that you were created and in your either your uh, sexual, sexually pure single state you find yourself in or your sexually pure married state that you find yourself in. Satan wants to do the reverse. Satan wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your identity and your hopes. Uh, and he wants to devour each one of us if he can. And we're creating God's image. We've made that clear. The Bible makes that clear. And Satan targets everything that God intends for good, including our sexuality and those relationships. And so the first step we've talked about is heed the great and required denial. This is a verse most of us wish wasn't in Scripture. Um, I don't like to deny myself, do you? Okay, let's be honest. Right? I like to satisfy myself, satisfy my appetites, my desires, get what I want, whatever. But Jesus says, nope, my culture is countercultural. And so he says it in uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, 
A disciple is a follower of Christ. Jesus didn't call to make us just have us just believe in him. Yep, you are who you say you are. He wants us to believe and then follow, to be a disciple. So if you're a disciple of Christ, it says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he or she must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a person if they gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Sadly, we'll, we'll, we'll take a fairly cheap exchange. The Bible gives us standards and, and guidelines to live by, and, and we will settle for far less than God's best, than an abundant life, than, than denying ourselves and achieving what is good. Another verse that goes with that, and specifically with our series on sexuality, I've read before is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Would you just point yourself? Let's all point ourselves, say, not mine. It's not your body. For you've been bought with a price, the greatest price of all, Christ on the cross. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What you feed it, the rest and exercise you get. What you do with it sexually. And so that explodes the, the cultural myths, my body, my choice. No, no, not really. Not when you follow Christ. You've been bought with a price. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat it, maintain it, and behave in it in a way that's appropriate to the Holy Spirit. We, we celebrate the fact that Colossians says we have Christ within you, the hope of glory. Act like that. Live like that. And that requires a mindset shift. Because I've heard people talk about the Bible as a bunch of do's and don'ts. Haven't you? All right, 12 of us have heard that too. Come on, help me out here. This is a tough weekend, all right? It's been a tough series. Do's and don'ts. I would look at it as a bunch of do's. Do this. And well, if you insist, yeah, don't do that. But the do is good for you. It's healthy for us as an individual. We talked about the fact this is God's owner's manual. He created us, and so this is okay. Based on how I created you, what you can handle, how I want you to live, this is how I want you to live. It's, and so if you look at, for instance, I mean, a very clear what you shall and shall not do. Thou shalt not commit adultery, all right? Loads of pain when you commit adultery. Momentary pleasure. The Bible says, it's very clear, that the, the pleasures of sin are for a season. So all of us, I'm not even going to ask you to respond because you're not in the mood, all right? But <laughs> all of us find a benefit to our sin. There's pleasure. Thank you, all right? Whether it feels good, whether it satisfies a need or an urge, whether the lie gets us out of trouble, I mean, whatever the case might be, there is pleasure in sin, and Satan's fine to give you some pleasure, but over time, after that first bite, it has been said that sin takes you farther than you wanted to go, makes you pay more than you wanted to pay, and makes you stay longer than you wanted to stay. And so there is a price to pay. Look at it this way. I've used this analogy before, but it, it says it really clearly. I, first time I heard it, I loved it. Um, let's pretend they have the bridge fixed going over the Ohio River in Cincinnati. All right, y'all know that, that bridge, okay? It's been closed for forever. You got to go through downtown, all right? So I don't know how many lanes is going to be, like 20 lanes wide when they're done with it, whatever, okay? And so anyways, you're going over that bridge, and I don't know about you, but when I go over that bridge, I meticulously watch the speed limit. No, I don't, all right? 
I'll confess I fudge on the speed limit. I remember when Joyce taught Jonathan how to drive, and he was right on the speed. She goes, well, Jonathan, it's kind of like a suggestion. I'm like, no, 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 no. But anyway, so I, I look at the suggested speed. I don't even know what exactly is over that bridge, but I'm sure I go over by a few. And I, when I'm coming up, anybody else drive like me, I'm looking for which lane is going to go the quickest, right? I'm not going to get behind like three semi-trucks, okay, or somebody putting along. I'm going to get in the fastest lane so I can move across that bridge, all right? I don't care if I'm outside, inside, middle. I'm, I'm going to go across that bridge. Got it? You with me? All right, you're in the car or you're driving, either way, all right? So imagine now, for some reason, there are no guardrails. Whoa, right? Me too. I am hitting the brake, okay? I am getting to the middle lane, and I am crawling across that bridge because there's no guardrails, right? Gives you the heebie-jeebies. Just think about it. That's what thou shalt not do does. The guardrails are guidelines, all right? Don't do that. Don't do that. Fly right here. But don't do that. Don't do that. It actually maximizes. It increases your freedom in healthy ways, and protects you from damage and danger. And that is true of sexual guidelines or any guideline in this book. If you'll see God's word like that, he's not trying to, to kill your joy and steal it from you and not enjoy who you are or created to be. He's trying to help you maximize that. And in case you're skeptical, let's talk about celebrating the pain that you will avoid. Now, these aren't Biblical points, these are statistics. They are not done by Christian sociologists. Uh, these are easy to find. If we would follow, if we would have followed God's design that we are to remain a virgin until we are married and we see sex as a life-uniting act with life-uniting intent in a life-uniting relationship for life, and that's the only way we experienced it. Do you know that we would be a world totally free of sexually transmitted disease? It would not exist. Well, a big deal. That is a big deal. Here's a slide to show you that. They've changed from sexually transmitted disease to sexually transmitted infection, but they remain common and costly to the nation's health. This is just one year, all right? And when you do stats, you got to go back a couple years. They're, they're gathering data. 2018, one in five people in the United States have a sexually transmitted disease or infection. This weekend, multiply 20% times a couple thousand people. That's hundreds of people. And I would love to say studies show no one who goes to church has them, but that wouldn't be true. In 2018, that, there were 26 million new STIs, infections acquired. So people are taking medication and it's kind of subsiding, so it's kind of turning over constantly. And the, the health costs, the lifetime health costs, if you get a sexually transmitted disease and you treat it and get it under control, get it in remission, and then it comes back, more treatment, more whatever, and then it comes back, da, 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 that lifetime health cost is $16 billion just for the 26 million people who acquired an STI, STD in 2018. That's another 16 billion for 2019, 2020, 2021. You see how costly sin is? 
physically and the pain of it and the emotional turmoil of it and the financial cost of it if we had just listened to God in the first place. And this will sober you up. Of those one in five Americans who have an STD and of the new infections, 50% of new STDs or STIs are contracted by people who are 15 to 24 years of age. I, I wrote one quote down that our culture said in their wisdom, STIs, STDs, are a preventable and treatable national health threat with sustainable personal and economic impact. And I circled the word preventable, and I wrote the word, yep, they are preventable, but not by contemporary health practices. They are preventable by going back to standards that are thousands of years old. God said, if you treat sex like a like life-uniting act, with life-uniting intent, in a life-uniting relationship, and only in that relationship for life, there'll be none. So, good job, God. Want to say good job, God? All right. The second thing we can celebrate the pain we'll avoid is we can avoid the risks of single-parent births. And uh, we have a chart here. That, again, this is secular research. It's not mine. It's not from a Christian organization. But the number of births to unmarried women, this chart only goes to 2013, but you'll see it went from just a few percent in 1940 all the way up to uh, just under 40 in 2013. If you continue this graph uh, to 2021, actually 42% of births in 2021 were to single moms, unmarried people. Now, when we talk about that, understand the risks that are there. There are 15 million kids living with a single mom. Uh, in 1968, there were 4 million kids living with single parents. So that has quadrupled over that time. And here's the problem. Studies show when it comes to living in poverty, only 14% of married couples live in poverty. 21% of single dads live in poverty. 45% of single moms live in poverty. And when you look at the number of kids living in single-parent families, how much that has increased, let me put that in perspective. My high school and college years were the 70s. And in the early 70s, in high school, I can remember one friend whose parents were divorced. One friend. Now, it's every four or more. All right, what's the big deal? Again, sociological studies show, not me, all right, that marriage is one of the greatest weapons against poverty, against high school dropouts, and against crime in the life of a child. Victory Project calls those the pillars of poverty. And if, are, if a child's born to a married couple and almost half of our kids are not, and depending on the demographic group, it's anywhere from 28% to 69% of any particular demographic group, the kids are born outside of a marriage, that the chance of a child being born into poverty drops by 82% if that child's born to a married mom and dad. Did God know what he was doing or what? And all the risk factors are exponentially higher for a child born to not a married mom and dad when it comes to their academic success, when it comes to their, their health and well-being, when it comes to future uh, financial success and career success. All of that is ratcheted, the, the risks are ratcheted way up 
when there's not a mom and a dad that are there. And we can avoid all that pain if we follow God's design. Good job, God. When we do that, we also protect that you can protect your marriage from the pain of pornography. Talked about pornography last week and how it's addictive physically and, phys- and, and, and psycho- psychologically. And studies show that 56% of divorces, at least one of the partners, had a porn addiction that helped lead to the divorce. In 56%. And we're going to look at the impact of divorce and what that does to not only uh, the husband and wife getting divorced, but kids. We can avoid that and reduce our chances dramatically uh, at getting divorced if we avoided porn. We can celebrate the pain that we'll avoid. We could avoid, people can avoid huge difficulty when it comes to LGBTQ-related mental health and, and health, mental and physical health risks. And I'll read for you a couple of uh, references. Uh, I, one is, a, I want to give you two corrections. Uh, the first correction that I was glad to see and I was a little surprised and disappointed because I like to vet my research. And I trusted uh, George Barna, his organization. And even Barna is now questioning what I just quoted last weekend on a recent study saying that 30% of millennials identify with LGBTQ agenda. Um, it's actually more close to around 15% they're expecting. Uh, and there's been corrections to that already. But here's an article when it comes to transgenderism. Uh, transgender individuals at greater risk of mental health problems than previously thought. And there was an article published in the American Journal of Psychiatry in October 4th, 2019. And the article said, reduction in mental health treatment utilization among transgender individuals after gender-affirming surgeries. The implication of the article, if you uh, get past the academic speak there, is that if a person is struggling with transgenderism and they have transgender uh, gender reassigning surgery, that their mental well-being improves because they have less need for uh, psychological and psychiatric services. What they found, and the authors of the article found, uh, in a letter published August of 2020, our conclusions were too strong and that there really is not the correlation that they were hoping to find, that if a person goes all the way through their transgender reassignment surgery, that they have a better sense of mental health. On the contrary, uh, the studies found that transgender individuals who had received the diagnosis of gender incongruence were six times more likely to have a mood or anxiety disorder than the general population. They were three times as likely to be prescribed antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, and they were more than six times as likely to attempt suicide, resulting in hospitalization. Those are staggering statistics. And the authors said, we have to kind of undo that because no, those risks are still there. When you go further, uh, there was a study by the CDC. There was a study by the National Health Service, quoted by BBC. Uh, And research shows that compared to other men, uh, gay and bisexual men have higher chances of having anxiety and mood and substance disorders and suicidal thoughts. And uh, it was found the same for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. Uh, They're far more likely than heterosexuals to have long-term mental health conditions, uh, according to the data. Now, there are two ways to respond to that. One way to respond to that as well, that's because society isn't as accepting and people have to overcome all those biases and whatever. And if people would just accept it and approve of it, then that anxiety and depression would go away. That's one way to look at it. 
but I would suggest that when we insist on going against God's design, God's guardrails for our sexuality, and we refuse to manage our sexual appetites and attractions according to biblical guidelines, we should expect more internal stress and dis-ease. And so God basically knew that if you live according to what I have established for you, it's healthier for you physically, it's healthier for you emotionally and mentally and relationally. And uh, so the final area in which we can avoid pain if we follow God's guidelines, again, this isn't me, this is secular research. Google it, you can find tons of it, all right? Uh, is when it comes to avoiding the health risks of divorce. And there was a phenomenal longitudinal study, which is over the course of several years, by a psychologist, Judith, Judith Wallerstein. And she studied children of divorce. Let's start there. Kids whose parents get divorced. And uh, they were interviewed and investigated 18 months after, 5 years, 10 years, 15, and 25 years after their parents' divorce. What she found was amazing. And that is that children never get over divorce. It's a great loss that is in their lives forever. It's like a grief that is never over. All special events, such as holidays, plays, sports, graduations, marriages, births of children, etc., bring up the loss created by divorce, as well as the family relationship conflicts that result from the extended family celebrating any event. Beyond that, studies show that when parents get divorced, uh, their children's chance to, for, for developing health problems increases by 50%. Divorce does loads of damage to young people. There was an interesting and hope-giving statistic you may have heard, as I have heard, and I've always questioned it. Well, divorce is as common inside the church as outside the church. Yes and no. The divorce rate for people in the church, people who are Christians and, and practicing Christians, um, let me read here. Those who take their faith seriously, both in belief and practice, the best research from sociology's leading scholars has established the fact time and again over the last few decades. Most recently, research conducted at Harvard's University School of Public Health shows that regularly attending church services together reduces a couple's risk of divorce by a remarkable 47%. So if you're just sitting in church with your spouse right now, you're dropping your chance of divorce by 47%. So you can kind of nudge them like, hey, I'm proud of us, all right? Happily, this holds true regardless of the demographic. And studies go further to say that if a couple prays together, not big, long, theological, dear God kind of prayers, all right, but <laughs> just short prayers a few times a week, your chance of staying together goes up even higher. And so when we say divorce is as common in the church as out, I would imagine if that were a study, if there are studies, that it's, it's surveying a population because if we are indeed an emergency room for wounded souls, I would like to think that in some ways we're, we have a higher percentage of people coming here who are looking for healing and hope and health when it comes to their wounded sexuality. People are coming here because their marriage crashed and burned and there's all kinds of pain with that. And so they come to the church for, for help and for healing. We just launched divorce care. I saw somebody last Wednesday night after our deeper dive. They just come from divorce care. I said, oh, that was amazing. It's awesome. So we're a place of help for people who are going through divorce. So I would like to think that there are lots of people who have been through it who could say an amen to the pain to avoid. And we're a place to, to offer grace and restoration. 
And then uh, after 30 years of research studies, here are some other things to consider. Life expectancy for divorced men and women are significantly lower than for married people, who, by the way, have the longest life expectancy. A recent study found that those who were unhappy but stayed married were more likely to be happy five years later than those who divorced. Stay at it. The health consequences of divorce are so severe that a Yale researcher concluded that being divorced and a non-smoker is only slightly less dangerous than smoking a pack a day and staying married. Now, I'm not saying to take up smoking to cope with your spouse, all right? It's just a matter of comparison. After a diagnosis of cancer and serious illness, married people are more likely to recover than those who are divorced. And men and women both suffer a decline in mental health following divorce. Our researchers have found that that is especially true for women. Some of the mental health indicators include depression, hostility, self-acceptance, personal growth, and positive relations with others. As I go through that, and I know I'm stepping on toes and hearts, uh, people who didn't follow God's guidelines, and so your life is a sad affirmation of that truth. But it's just to affirm that, you know what? God put the guidelines there not to, not to cheat you of fun, not to make your life, life less enjoyable, not to give you less freedom, but actually to give you more freedom within those opportunities and those limits. And so with that understood, enjoy one of two great lifestyles that God gives us to choose from. The first one is sexually pure singleness. And this is found in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, where the Apostle Paul writes, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how they may please his wife or his husband, her husband. And his interests are, are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Whether you are a heterosexual and trying to live out a godly celibate lifestyle or whether you are dealing with same-sex attraction but realize, okay, then my option with God is to live a celibate lifestyle. Understand that when you do that and you honor God in that, as a single person, there's loads of benefits. You are more likely to exercise. As a single adult, you are less likely to gain weight. As a single person, you have less stress around financial matters. And this one kind of makes sense, less, less stress around chores. It's your underwear, your dirty dish, pick it up or not. All right? I mean, nobody, nobody to fight with about that. You have more close friends, single adults, who are living out their sexual purity, have more close friends than married couples do because they have more of a healthy network. It's more about the ones in my life than the one in my life. They likewise, as a single adult, you also tend to do more meaningful volunteer work, have a greater sense of fulfillment and purpose about how you spend your time, and you are now part of the majority in that 50.2% of adults in the United States are single. Honor God with your sexuality, with a sing single, pure, sexually pure lifestyle, and you will look back and say, I'm so glad I did over time. The other acceptable lifestyle is sexually pure marriage. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said this in verse 4. 
And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and that he will be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. As a married person, you tend to have a longer lifespan. You tend to have fewer strokes, lower rates of depression, uh, a better chance of surviving major surgery. Your immune system tends to be stronger. You have a greater sense of mental health. As you do that, live that, and practice that until death do you part. And we're going to have wedding vows here in just a few minutes for couples who have pledged themselves to each other, better for worse, sickness and health, richer for poorer, uh, till death do us part. As, as I said last weekend, that is basically, I would paraphrase that, you either get it right or you die trying. And when you do that, the benefits are numerous, and they're not just from Scripture. Society is validating that. So as I said at the beginning of the series, we offered couples who uh, had uh, gotten their order wrong and they weren't honoring God in their relationship. If they wanted to make it right and get married, we'd be happy to do that. And so uh, we married two couples last night, and we're going to marry two couples today. And uh, today, Rico Edwards and Mary Mason are getting married. And so in a moment, we're going to kind of change things out and adjust the set a little bit. And uh, as we do, I'll remind you that when you leave today, we have a reception in the lobby. Uh, the couples will be at the back area, and there'll be cake and coffee over at the cafe. So stop by, encourage them, let them know how proud you are of them, be praying for them, have some cake, have a cup of coffee. And then on your way out by door three, pick up a pie to pie it forward, either pumpkin or apple. It's a great way to invite people to our Christmas celebration. So thank you very much.